The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. John Gibbons, one of your many fans, has got an early text message in before we even hear about Michael O'Leary saying that Michael O'Leary must be in denial about the damage air travel is doing to the environment and how Ryanair is a massive contributor to carbon emissions. Hopefully the Greens will bring in even more strict policies regarding air travel. Now as it happens Michael O'Leary had a press conference today and uh, in front of the waiting media he had uh, cardboard cutout mock-ups of Eamon Ryan and Catherine Martin the Tourism Minister in which both of them were wearing dunces hats. Let's hear a little bit of what Michael O'Leary had to say today. These are issues that need to be highlighted. Uh, and I don't know any other way to highlight them. We've been writing to the government for months about the cap, so is Dublin Airport. And, you know, Eamon Ryan keeps telling us, oh, it's a planning issue, I can't intervene. Yet he's out there gobbing on about the Dublin North, the Dublin Airport Metro, which is a planning issue as well, and yet it doesn't stop him intervening on a daily basis. Nobody does more for climate change than Ryanair does. We are the greenest, cleanest airline in Europe. So I'm all in favour of the green uh, environment. What we're trying to do here is to expose the extent to which after four years in their office, we have a green transport minister and a green tourism minister who are doing nothing. They're presiding over a cap. And after four years of green policies, all we have is a traffic cap, stagnation, and this claim that, oh, I can't intervene in the planning process. He has no difficulty intervening in the planning process when it comes to Dublin Airport Metro, which is currently going through planning. So, John Gibbons, what about that point that Eamon Ryan says, oh, he can't indicate one way or the other what he wants done at Dublin Airport because he doesn't want to interfere with the planning process which is underway with Fingal County Council as to whether the 32 million passenger cap at Dublin Airport would be extended to 40 million. And yet, he has regularly, and he did it in the same seat you're sitting in, has endorsed his desire to have the Metrolink built to Dublin Airport. Is that not talking out of both sides of his mouth? Uh, good evening, Matt. I don't think so. There's two separate issues here. One is a planning process. So that planning process is at the feet and at the hands of Fingal County Council. Now, if Eamon Ryan or any other minister were interfering, Matt, with that planning process, were leaning on it politically, you might well have them in here saying, why are you interfering with the planning process? The reason we have so many planning problems in Ireland is we've had so many, so much political interference. So, to be fair, once a process is in train, as in the case of Fingal County Council, that is the job. But that's of the exactly the same as what's happening with the Metro Line. Although it's on a board panel stage at present, the minister is publicly and loudly saying he wants a particular outcome. So, how can you turn around and say he won't say anything about the outcome at Dublin Airport for fear of influencing the decisions while he's clearly trying to influence the decision on the Metrolink? I think in relation to the Metrolink, it is it has long been government policy to to extend that, and therefore, and I think as a green minister promoting a green transport is hardly a surprise to anybody. I think that that's happening. So, you know, to set out your stall and say yes, of course we support public transport, we want to build it, and so on. I think that's fine. But that if that's fair enough, then why can't he express an opinion one way or the other as to whether he believes Dublin Airport services should be expanded? Okay, let me put it this way: If Eamon Ryan came out tomorrow 
and said, right, Michael, if you want an answer, here's your answer. I think it shouldn't be. I, I believe that Fingal County Council should turn you down because that's my political opinion. Well, Mr O'Leary would turn even bluer in the face, Matt, at that. He'd say, how dare Eamon Ryan tell Fingal County Council how to vote? So I think Michael is the guy where, chewing both sides of, it, of his mouth on this issue. But hold on, shouldn't there perhaps be the position taken by the Green Party that given the importance of tourism to the national economy and given the importance of air connectivity for the economy and given that, as Michael O'Leary has said, Ryanair runs the cleanest aircraft of all, that you know there is a greater common good to allow an increased number of flights into Dublin Airport because if they don't go to Dublin Airport, they'll just go somewhere else and you won't actually save any global emissions. Sure, I mean, the, the, I always say you've hit the bottom of the barrel when the argument is down, is reduced to saying, if we don't do it, if we don't cause damaging climate pollution here, somebody else will cause damaging climate pollution somewhere else. I mean, that is a recipe for, for collective failure, which of course is the path that we're on. And I mean, what Michael O'Leary, we already have in one little airport in Dublin, in one little city, in one little European city, 32 million passenger movements. And yet, you know what? It's never enough. We want 40 million next. And when they get, if they get their 40 million, that won't be enough either, Matt, because next thing will be, the clamour will be on for 50 million. There's just no limit to this. And of course, there's no limit to that to the size of uh, Ryanair's bank account. There's no limit to them pushing this idea. And the notion, for example, that we're the greenest uh, airline in the world, I mean, this is just more sophistry. So, for example, in the in the ranking of the 10 most climate-damaging organisations, corporations in the entire European Union, nine of them are huge coal companies, like in Poland and Germany, and one of them is an airline. It's Ryanair. And so that's is, because Ryanair is the biggest exactly, airline but in it Europe. Is, it is, but you see... Th- the atmosphere doesn't really care that you're belching out emissions in a slightly more climate yeah, friendly way. But hold on, light. doesn't it actually make sense if you have new clean engines, relatively speaking, flying the Ryanair aircraft as against the old, more carbon emitting uh, aircraft that are used by other airlines? Is it not better that if you are going to have planes in the air that they be clean Ryanair planes? Sure. I haven't seen anywhere where Michael O'Leary says that as soon as he gets, you know, X number of new cleaner planes that he's going to ground his old dirty ones. His plan is to continue pushing as as much out there as possible. Oh, sir, no, no, he does ground the old dirty ones. In fairness, like I've, instantly. I've, I have instantly. read. Yeah, I have read the environmental report that comes out every year from Ryanair, and they do rotate. They do take certain aircraft out of commission, sell them, whatever, and stuff. So they're replaced by the cleaner emitting okay, aircraft. Fair, right. Let's look at the, the efficiency paradox, Matt, here. What this means in simple terms is, let's say you come up with a slightly more efficient aircraft. That aircraft, therefore, you burn slightly less fuel. What, what does that mean? You can reduce prices, get more people on it, fly that aircraft more often. The net result, by the way, of efficient aircraft is more flying and more pollution. So unless efficiency without limits and without caps is is completely counterproductive. And Michael O'Leary knows that. The only thing the atmosphere responds to is the amount of emissions that we release. Okay. Do you know how many people fly annually in the world at present? I would say at any probably in it, the number of people or the number of flights. No, the number of flights. So, like, if you assumed a flight per person, but how many flights per annum are there? I'd say we're into the millions. millions. I imagine we are. We're into about four billion. Billion, right? yeah. Well, they're not flights; they're individuals. Individuals, individuals exactly. Yes. Individuals. But so the of flights, yeah. and, and billions of passengers. So yes. four billion okay. passengers. Yeah. The projection is by twenty fifty, it'll be eight billion. Absolutely. Right. Double. Yeah. Right. Mm. So whatever we do at Dublin Airport to 
restrict the numbers isn't going to restrict the numbers that the airline industry expects will be flying by 2050 because even if we in the western world do it the amount of people who have never flown in China and in India and in other rapidly developing economies the amount of people who want to fly because they want to go to other places is going to ensure that these emissions continue. Yeah I think that's a fair point but what you've just set out there Matt the the notion for example of doubling of aviation by 2050 basically that means let's say that that happens okay and let's say the Michael O'Leary's this world have their way and they bully their way to make sure this happens, right? So what we do is that aviation plays an oversized role in collapsing the global economy, not the global economy, don't mind that, that's the least of our worries. It'll collapse the global climate system and what the first thing that the global climate system failure does is it collapses the global economy and you know what? We won't have to worry about flights in a three to four degree uh, world that the Michael O'Leary's of this world are actually leading us towards, we won't have to worry about aviation at all. It'd be the least of our worries. Okay, I want to ask you a little bit about as well, and we got quite a lot of comments about the piece you did with us at half four yesterday, about um, electric cars, because just to summarise, a lot of people are saying they simply can't afford an electric car even if they want it. I mean, should we need compromise? And Toyota now, we're getting an awful lot of criticism because they were sticking with their hybrid models. They were probably early movers when it came to hybrid cars, but they stuck with them rather than going to full EV. And there now seems to be a major international trend, a realisation that people can't afford to move over to fully electric. And that if you want to have a future where you have less emissions, it's going to be in hybrid cars, which still have the internal combustion engine run off petrol or diesel, but use them to actually charge a small battery. Yeah, it is intriguing. I mean, the, the high, I, I, I bought a Toyota hybrid in 2008 I bought a Prius um, brand new because I thought I was You're doing, an early adapter I was an early adapter Matt I thought I was doing the right thing an awful car right in terms of the actual energy saving on it minimal right so that taught me at a great expense that the, the so-called self-charging hybrid is effectively useless. Hang on, but the technology has improved enormously over the last 15 years, surely. As long as the so-called self-charging for the uninitiated, this simply means that it's a petrol engine car that does a tiny bit of regeneration when you hit the brakes. So if you're on the motorway, for example, in a so-called self-charging, there's zero regeneration whatsoever. So you're basically, it's a petrol engine just dragging extra junk around. And that's the problem. The hybrid mat uh, manages to combine the worst features of the internal oh, but hold on, what about the, the PHEVs? I mean, the ones, the plug-in hybrids. So, and I'll, cards on the table, our family car is a plug-in hybrid and you get about 60 kilometres out of it and it actually probably does the journeys, nearly every journey, with the exception of when Alien has to go up and down to Cork. It does it on a charge and we charge it in again at night and we don't use petrol. It's only for the longer journeys that the petrol is actually needed. Are you telling me that that's a waste, that that's just an environmental gesture rather than actually doing something to get away from using petrol cars? I can certainly understand the idea behind it, that's for sure. But again, it combines the worst of both possible worlds. What you have here are two technologies, two drivetrains in the one car. What does that do? It increases the weight and it increases the technical complexity of your car. So you get a a very underpowered battery that now if you're getting 60 kilometres out of it you must be massaging your battery along no that's genuinely what it's giving great I mean that's fantastic but typically they're getting between 30 and 50 kilometres which again for puttering around the city is grand but the reality is the only way that we 
can get in the direction, Matt, that we need to go globally on transport emissions is, first of all, we need to get out of the car business full stop, right? We really and truly do. We need to cut transport emissions worldwide, probably by 90% by mid-century. We're not going to do that by tinkering around with uh, self-charging hybrids and PHEVs. And I'll be totally frank with you, Matt, we're not going to do it by replacing 2 billion uh, internal combustion cars, even with 2 billion EVs. We are going to have to transition dramatically and quickly away from the century-long dominance of the private car. It's an unbelievably efficient, sorry, inefficient way of getting from A to B. I put that in simple terms. Let's say you're driving an SUV, an in, a diesel SUV, uh, typically two, two and a half tons. 99% of the fuel that you're burning, Matt, is moving, is lost either in transmission or in moving the box. 1% moves the person. So it is a fantastically inefficient way of moving humans around. Plus, of course, your box takes up Sorry, huge I, amounts of space. I'm just trying to worry. Are you actually saying you want people to get rid of cars? That the roads that we've invested in all around the country that get people to their places of work, gets them to sports fixtures, gets them to visit relatives for entertainment, gets them to school... That would, everyone would be travelling by bus or by train instead. No, I don't think so. We need to turn the, 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 the pyramid, the transport pyramid at the moment, the base of that pyramid is full of cars, often single occupancy cars, maybe two people at a time, right? The top of that pyramid is pedestrians and cyclists in terms of numbers. We need to flip that pyramid around. We need to have active transport, which means uh, protected cycle lanes, e-bikes, cargo bikes and so on. For example, many of the, the type of deliveries and work done in urban areas that are currently done by small vans could easily be replaced by uh, e-cargo bikes, easily, right? And a lot of this is, is a it's a kind of a mind shift. We've just got locked into the idea that cars have been around forever. They haven't been around forever. They've been around for a century and they've basically taken over our urban spaces. They've dominated our lives. We're not going to replace the car. Of course we're not. There will continue to be cars uh, as long as there's organised human society. There will continue to be cars. The question is, we need to be moving from the current one to two billion cars to a fraction of that, maybe 10% of that, Matt. So that in... in John, that's not going to happen. Well, we'll see about that. I mean, that remains to be seen because uh, sometimes things happen because we, you know, we have two choices in the future. We can either engineer a soft landing on the climate emergency or we can rumble on every one of us demanding to continue to do exactly what we do, to fly as often as we like, to drive whatever we like, drive wherever we want and then we run into a brick wall called climate breakdown. Okay, can I ask you, you have a car, don't you? I do indeed. How much mileage do you put on it? Very little. Okay, how many days a week would you drive a car? (sighs) Maybe one. Uh, But I'm very lucky and I admit that because I live uh, in an urban area close to good quality public transport and I also walk a lot. So I make a point of not using the car very much uh, but again I'm not looking for, for brownie points for that. That other people's circumstances are different. But it's also, of course, a full electric car. Uh, and again, it's a transition in that direction. A few years ago, we were a two-car family, uh, both of those internal combustion. So you go two-car to one-car, one-car to EV, and from that to use it as little as possible. In an ideal situation, my next step probably would be to simply, as an urban person who doesn't really need a car all that much, would be to use a car rental scheme instead, get rid of the car altogether. And when I need to go down the country, for example, maybe hire a car, one of those go-car services to do it. But what we need, Matt, is an awful lot less cars on our roads. But, you see, you're organised your life that you can actually 
use the car once a week. For an awful lot of people who are listening to us, they can't do that. Because I, I know I say, until such time as you have all of this public transport in place, the Metrolink and other train services and loads of buses. I mean, we, we, we're so many decades away from your vision of getting rid of cars. And even after that, I suspect that a lot of people will just want the convenience of having their own car getting from A to B in a certain period of time rather than getting from A to B via X, Y and Z. Yep, and I guess... It's up to governments, it's up to states to make the rules to decide how that works. For example, you know, do we want cars uh, to have unlimited access to towns and cities? Increasingly, we're seeing a move away from that and to giving that urban space, for example, back to pedestrians, back to active travel users. That's kind of reasonable. That's just about fair allocation. At the moment, cars are overrepresented in our urban spaces. They take up, not just when they're moving, Matt, but they're taking up the street spaces, but when they're parked, they're taking up vast amounts of space that we could really use back in our finite urban area. So, and again, I stress the point that we have to work towards a soft landing, if at all possible, on on the climate issue. And I guess, and I appreciate I'm a little bit of a broken record on this, and you'll forgive me for that, but I have to keep my eyes on the prize. And the prize here is we need to engineer, we need to engineer our way out of the climate emergency. And we're not going to do that as long as, as we continue full steam ahead in aviation, in private transport and in so many other areas. And as long as we continue burning millions of barrels of oil every single day, we're basically cooking our own future. I'll give you a quick one, Matt. A very, very quick, quick one. because we're way right. over time We're here. now at the end of February. Half a million acres of uh, land has just burned in Texas in February. The worst wildfire in Texas history at this time of the year. It is late winter. We shouldn't be getting this. We need to wake up. John Gibbons, there were lots of other things I didn't get a chance to talk to you about today, but we'll do that next Thursday. Thank you very much for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.